Welcome, welcome coaches, teachers, parents, and medical professionals. You are listening to Larissa Mills and my podcast, At The Table. I am the founder of iParentGen.com. And today and every day, we are going to discuss how families and schools are managing technology and raising children and teaching them. We are also going to listen to how technology is impacting athletes and their level of sport. So let's get to it. Stay tuned and please call in with your questions or join us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram. But parents, you are not alone. There are courses, articles, and videos on my website. Please sign up for free. So let's get listening. Hi there. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? Good, good. And I love your name. Can you pronounce that for me? Dr. Eva Anschak. I love the way it sounds. It sounds so beautiful on the tongue. I just, I like the way you say it better than I can. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, So today we have Dr. Eva Ansek at the table today, and her and I are going to sit down and discuss how screens have changed children and their families mentally and physically. So if you can grab a coffee or tea, this is a good listen. And this is an educational podcast to open the mind for parents to listen to different avenues of helping their family. So I was hoping you could introduce yourself a little bit and give everybody a little bit of background about yourself. Thank you very much for giving me this opportunity and inviting me to to your podcast. I am an educational psychologist. I've been working with the uh, school board in Toronto for for many, many years. I don't even want to disclose how many. (laughs) I also uh, have a private practice in Mississauga, which is actually most of the time online. In terms of what I do, I work with children, I work with youth ages 5 to 21, uh, providing consultations, counseling, and uh, assessment for them. Um, Again, this is my background, but uh, beyond that, I try to also help community in many different ways. And you're basically, it's it's called the core center. My first question for you today, of course, is a doozy. And just to give a little background to our listeners here, we... For the last 15, 20 years, we've seen a major shift in behavior. It wasn't in the 70s. It wasn't in the 80s. It wasn't in the 90s. It was after 2007. It seems to be the magical year when iPhones were out, after BlackBerry was out, and parents were not spending time with their children, so the children are not getting that bond of security and attachment. And then when teachers see the children in the schools, it's basically unwanted behavior all day, right? What can we do to educate parents about phones and how to balance them? Because we are in a family health crisis. Many of your colleagues are calling it that. Um, What can we do to help them? I agree with you that there is definitely a huge problem among families. And I've been observing the same thing for for many, many years. Uh, I don't know if we can simply attribute it to uh, the use of electronics, iPhones and so on, or or phones, uh, cell phones. um, But um, I think it is really important to first diagnose what is the underlying issue there and um, you, you're right. People don't have as much time anymore to spend with their families, with their children. Parents very often push the responsibility of 
of raising their children on the other peoples in the community, including teachers. Yeah. Um, so, yes, there is a decline in, in these kind of relationships. Uh, it would be very easy to advise parents to just start spending more time with their children and balance their life a, a little bit uh, better. I don't know, however, uh, if this is doable, especially uh, under the circumstances which are kind of um, concerning. I'm talking now about pandemic when parents are overwhelmed more than ever before because not only that they have to uh, parent, they, they have to also take care of the household, they have to maintain the jobs and other responsibilities. Mm-hmm. Um, so from my perspective, if I need to, to give any any advice, I would say that it is very important to take few steps back and look at the situation from, from a healthy distance in order to find this balance. What is really important? Prioritizing. Okay. Uh, what is really important? And scheduling, putting yeah. some rules and routines in place. Okay. So if kids are on their phones for four to six hours a day, and the latest research suggests that parents are on their phones for four to five hours a day. When are they spending time together? It's very difficult, isn't it? Because we should be making the kids get off their phones, right? And play, go outside, be creative, um, be musical, be athletic, and, and get outside. So why is it we had that time before, but now we're just saying, yeah, go on your phone, it's okay, when it's simply not okay anymore? I think people feel overwhelmed. And, and we've been seeing, as you said, you know, been seeing this um, trajectory for, for a long time now. Yeah, this is pre-COVID. I don't even want to include COVID in this. Um, it really happened, it, it's 10 years before um, the last 10 years prior to COVID, I've seen such dramatic change in children and, and parents. And, and parents just keep allowing it to happen. Parents allowing it to happen, I think it's mainly because, you know, uh, um, electronics and, and, and so on um, um, give us the opportunity to become more productive. More productive what? means that possibly our employers expect us to do more, not less. Right. Um, and I don't know to what extent people really have a choice mm-hmm. uh, to limit their time on electronics or to supervise their children. That's why I keep emphasizing the importance of having some routines yes, and very. actually scheduling time which yeah. that we're spending together. That's what I do with my children uh, at the dinner table. No electronics are allowed. Mm, very good, yeah. Yeah, uh, because this is simply it works like any kind of addiction. When we go out um, to the restaurant or when we uh, yeah, we don't need them there. We should be socializing, right? Absolutely, but but the, the rule is we leave our electronics at home. Yeah, because otherwise it is like putting the, the bottle of vodka in front of the alcoholic and asking to resist yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting because we were in Portugal um, last summer. And when I would look at all the people at restaurants, everybody who was not on a phone, I couldn't, I had to listen to their accents or their language to hear where they were from. And they were either Canadian, British, or American that were on their phones. And the Germans weren't, the Swiss weren't, the Portuguese weren't, the Spanish weren't. There were 
all playing with their children, like in various ways or being very affectionate, just right there in the restaurants. And it was like that everywhere I went, there wasn't people, I didn't see people with their phones out like we do everywhere here in North America. I was really saddened by this and really I, I, optimistic in some ways, you know, that if, if Europe has, has still worked with the technology yet they're still not using it, then there must be something that they're doing right. And what, what do you think? Conclusion? What, do they do? what are your comments <laughs> on that? Uh, you're asking me what is the difference between uh, Europe and Northern America? What, what is it? Because they've had phones the same amount of time, but the difference in socialization is night and day. First of all, I think that um, I grew up in Europe. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I came to Canada about 16 years ago only. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I do see the difference in culture. Europe is really small when we compare to Northern America. And what is really interesting that uh, because there are multi- many, many different countries, mm-hmm. and in all of these countries, people speak different languages, <laughs> yeah. you can move for, let's say, 100 kilometers and, and experience different uh, different different culture, different way people socializing. Yeah. So in countries such as, uh, let's say, Italy, Spain, Portugal, and, and yeah. so on, you will see people uh, bonding a little bit more than those. Yeah, they are more intimate, <laughs> right? Like the relationships are more intimate and close. It's from what I've seen. And it also possibly has something to do with distances, uh, like physical distances between places. Maybe. Uh, for, for me, going to the store, would, I, I would go, let's say, in my slippers I would never do that but I could do that whereas here if I want to buy a bread I need to actually take a car and drive yeah uh, so so physical distance is also physical. teaching people how to yeah. uh, how to relate to it to each other this so is just a thought if we have a child that has phone addiction what are the signs and symptoms of a child having a phone addiction when should parents intervene and really be concerned? Uh, I always say the prevention is much better than intervention. So yes, again, it's funny. everyone I've talked to said the exact same thing. Yeah. Again, when, you, when you're in it, it's very difficult to get out. So when you are scheduling your time, when you set up clear rules, how we use electronics, Mm -hmm. uh, it is much easier to prevent any addiction than observing your child being sad, being withdrawn. These symptoms are very similar to to symptoms of depression. Yes. Children are are, are usually very sad. They don't want to engage with families, with their friends even. They're living in a virtual world. Yeah. And funny enough, I, I don't know if it is funny, but, uh, you know, our brains cannot differentiate between the reality and what we imagine. Right. So look how it's easy. They can't do that. Yes. How, how easy it is to get into this world where everything is nice, perfect, and I can compete and win. Mm-hmm. Versus, you know, trying, trying hard, dealing with adversities, uh, life adversities and stressful situations. Children very often run away to and use electronics. In a coaching clinic I had a, a while ago, I found that some of the children didn't know what butterflies were. Like before a race or 
before their volleyball game or how to deal with those emotions. And it's like, they can't figure out how to cope with emotions or what they are or acknowledge them because they always go on phone to escape them. So do you think it's good for parents? Cause I teach my athletes how to recognize them, that they're actually okay. That that actually those butterflies mean you're ready. You know how to use your practice skills. You are ready to go in there and I'm proud of you. And then it, the butterflies sort of go away. Right. Um, and butterflies are healthy to recognize. Um, and as soon as I go through it, they're so much happier. They're, they're not anxious. They know what they are. It's just pre race jitters. Um, but a lot of people are not teaching their kids what those are. Right. Do you think parents should teach their kids more about emotions and feelings? I, I think that you, uh, you actually pointed to the major problem. <laughs> oh, did I? Okay, great. Society. And, you know, let's look at it from this perspective. Over the last 30 years, we are observing uh, dramatic increase in mental health problems. Yeah. I, I believe I read 100%. some statistics that it's about 70% of increase. And it's mainly because people do not understand how to deal with emotions. They don't understand what emotions really are. Right. And uh, I, I agree with you. It is uh, our responsibility to teach yeah. children uh, how to recognize emotions uh, how to manage them and so on and so forth. Uh, however, in my practice, what I observe, uh, I've been observing for, for quite a while, I, I developed a program even called Ideal Me uh, to teach yeah. children how to respond to emotions. Yeah. And I know that the dramatic need for, for the same uh, teachings for their parents. The parents simply don't know what to do, so they have no tools and no strategies. No to strategies, yeah. yeah. And you're right, we are, we, we are human beings. We have all spectrum of emotions, and, and, we, and it is okay to feel angry or sad or yeah. even scared sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, however, you know, when you look at the emotion, there are two components, I, I would say, and it is very, very kind of old research going back to... Right, right factor in singer that uh, emotion is a physiological arousal that you feel in your body that you describe butterflies and so on and interpretation of this arousal Mm -hmm. so technically whatever you say to yourself makes you feel in a certain way right our self-talk and I teach a lot about self-talk and our inner dialogues even to little kids and how it's important to have a good relationship with our own minds and what we say to ourselves, because we're going to be talking to ourselves for a very long time. (laughs) We better have a good, healthy relationship in the way we dialogue in our heads to ourselves. And when we're speaking to athletes, um, we really have to encourage them to process negative self-talk and how to put that into redirection, into resetting and execute skills and it's almost the same concept to, to coworkers, to parents, to our, our children. We must teach them how to stop self-talk and to self-talk properly. So what would be some of the strategies that you would use? Because I, I only know a little bit. I took psychology, sociology, behavior. But what would be your go-to top two tips 
to help someone, especially children, to stop self-talking because kids are doing it more to themselves from social media than anything else right now. Absolutely. And let's put it in a perspective. Um, uh, Research says that we have about 10,000 thoughts per day. Most of them are negative and repetitive. So, so this is a human nature that we have these spots. And again, uh, it is um, it is adaptive strategy of our, of our body, our brain, uh, to protect us from danger. Unfortunately, um, people are reacting to things that are really not life threatening, the mm-hmm. same way as if they were, because of the self talk you, you are talking about. Um, the first. Think I, I, I believe people should do, children should do, is to stop themselves the moment they start feeling physiological arousal in their bodies. Okay. Stop themselves uh, at this moment and ask, what's happening? Why is my heart pounding? Why are my palms sweaty? Right. And ask themselves, what did I say to myself to make me feel that way? Okay. And if I say, for instance, or oh, I'm going to fail this test, or right. I'm not That's going to win, the, 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 yes, it's very common. I'm not yeah. going to win the race. Right. Uh, this is the moment they should stop and say, no. What can I say to myself to make me feel better? Oh, I've done it before. I will be just fine. Okay. Even if I don't win, it's, it's not the end of the world. I can try again. Uh, so restructuring the way they're thinking is 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 really important. Again, at the very very begin- beginning, when the feeling appears, right? Because it's very very easy to get into this vortex of negative self talk. Very quickly. Very difficult to get out of it. It's very different. It's very difficult for the kids to unspiral their way up to back to the top. Um, and I start. I even had a course where. Um, I talk to moms about teaching your babies how to talk, right? Because the first role model, the first authoritative figure, the first love, the first teacher is mother, right? Usually mother, father. And teaching them how to talk comes from, I think I read stories soon as they were born. And soon as, you know, just those little books or singing. And I found that a lot of parents... And some of the new research coming out, which really frightened me, was that mothers are not talking to their babies while they're feeding them. They're watching their phones. So children are already losing a year or two of language development, and therefore cognitive processing is not developed because they don't have the concepts or definitions to go with them, right? So they're delayed by the time they get to JKSK, which is age four, and the teachers are saying that the kids can't communicate, they can't cooperate, they can't, they're not coordinated, they can't concentrate and compromise. They emotionally can't control themselves in that environment the way they could even 10, 15 years ago. And they're wondering if it's this gap that mothers are not giving them the extra year or two of speaking to them while they're nursing, speaking to them while they're talking. Like I always used to schedule... I'd have like four things cooking in the kitchen, put the baby in the high chair and just put music on and talk because I'd just feed the baby and we'd talk and the dog would obviously get the food on the floor. (laughs) But um, I put it in my day, right? But I'm finding parents are not talking probably four or five hours less a day to their kids. 
So how do we encourage parents to just start talking more? Uh, <laughs> again, this is my challenge, I think. I think that uh, this is very difficult to change uh, this generation of parents. That's why the program, again, going back to Ideal Me, yes. uh, developed uh, some time ago based on my observations that were similar to yours. Uh, uh, unfortunately, I'm not, um, uh, not, not, not necessarily the ones uh, related to babies, but um, yes. Yes. children in uh, elementary and uh, high schools. Yes. Uh, you see that uh, there is this deficit in communication between parent and the child. And I found it very important to teach ch children as soon as possible how to relate with other people, how to relate with your own emotions and so on. Because these people in 20 years or so are going to become parents. And these people are going to create this, this society. They are these people are going to be future CEOs and uh, premieres and so on and so forth. Uh, that's why it is important yeah, to, to, to understand how important these skills are and maybe structure um, the workplace in, in a better way for these parents to allow them to spend more time with, with their babies and children at any, any point of their life. Right. And can you, I can't wait. Now is the question I've been waiting to ask you for a bit. Can you explain the app that you've created and can you explain to parents what it will do and how it will help? Thank you very much for this question. <laughs> I know I had it in here. <laughs> so uh, we, I love the whole concept. The the app we developed is called Talk to Alex, mm -hmm. and um, again, it was our response to to the need. If we mm -hmm. know that children are responding better to electronic nowadays than parents, teachers, and other mm -hmm. adults. Uh, then maybe, just maybe, they will, you know, talk to somebody <laughs> who, is, who is on a phone in an app. Um, I, I don't know if you are going to show later on the, the picture of uh, of Alex or, 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 or the app. I will be happy no, to No, I'm going to put it in the link to this, yeah. Okay, link, and I can also send, or, or, or there is a little uh, promo video. Yes. Oh, that would be wonderful if you could send it to me. Yeah. I'll be happy to send yeah, it to you. Yeah. <laughs> Going back to your question, yeah, uh, the, we created this this app. A little little robot Alex uh, is an emotional companion for youth. Uh, very important thing that I want to mention at the very beginning <laughs> before we even start talking more about the app. This is a free app. We do not collect any personal information. Uh, Anything the children record in the app stays on the phone. It doesn't go anywhere. Doesn't go. Anywhere. So everything is confidential. Yeah. Uh, there is also a help button if somebody feels suicidal or, or, or in a huge distress. Right. So right. Provide yeah, distress. I think I noticed they can reach out for help. Right. So right. so this this is something I wanted to mention in the first place. Yeah. What does what app does? Um, um, you can talk to Alex knowing that nobody is listening, nobody is judging you, and we can share with him your deepest thoughts, your deepest worries and problems. And not only that, Alex teaches you how to recognize your emotions on a scale, on a visual scale, actually. On a visual scale? Uh, okay. Yes, it is a visual scale built on uh, zones of, on, of regulations, actually. 
Okay. Uh, so the child can recognize uh, if they are on a blue or a yellow or a green or red. That's very easy for children to associate a color with, right? With it, yeah. And we're building that way, um, the, the uh, awareness and uh, how to recognize feelings, how to name them, because Alex will say, oh, so you are on the yellow. It means you are anxious. <laughs> Let me help you. And then uh, the, Alex involves the child in the conversation. Okay. Um, first of all, recognizing symptoms in the body that um, uh, tell the child um, give the, the child an idea oh I'm feeling that way I know I'm feeling that way because my body is my best friend it lets me know uh, that something is going on then Alex says okay so what happened tell me and the child tells them uh, him for instance oh you know I had this exam and I I was afraid that I can fail uh, then Alex says oh you know what I think maybe maybe your brain's trying to trick you so let's see what next negative thoughts you said to yourself and then Alex is um, pushing the child to uh, to come up with some positive thoughts okay that can replace the negative Not ones negative. Yeah. Um, it's um, so so this is this is the journey we call it journey but the app is loaded with podcasts with strategies with tools uh, even with questionnaires uh, how are you uh, you know what are the stresses in your life or what is your belief system what are cognitive distortions? Uh, and, and so, and my favorite part of the app is also in the toolbox. These are happy pictures that can change your mood within milliseconds. Oh, <laughs> and, I like that. <laughs> there are also some guided, there is also some guided meditation, mindfulness, uh, grounding techniques, visualiz visualization, breathing techniques, progressive muscle relaxation, and so on and so forth. Do you so, have anything in the app, and I because I couldn't get to use all of it, mm -hmm. um, anything for eating disorders? Uh, that so, is what's real. I've seen uh, on the rise. Um, but those same feelings, they can easily navigate within Alex. The same feelings of physical change in their bodies. I know, but I didn't know if that was something that could... The, the app basically is not meant to cure anybody or treat okay, anybody. It, it is not a psychotherapy session, even though it mimics one. Yeah, it does. Uh, <laughs> in a meaning that it, sh it shows the child how this, uh, let's say, psychotherapy or counseling session may look like. Uh, but I, I wouldn't say that, uh, that the app can cure yeah. anybody or that the app can replace a face-to-face yeah. -face therapy session. It's just, a, it's just, I call it rather educational app to show children and their parents because I always ask parents to download the app. I don't ask the child directly, you know, go I and download it. Them because they can still go into Alex and say, I didn't want to eat today mm -hmm. because I saw an image of, and then Alex will say, well, what, you know, it will respond back. It'll still pick up, I think, those feelings because they're still going to say, it made me feel anxious or my heart went or I felt sad and they Alex will still I think from my understand help themselves talk out of it right most likely yes my, my first idea when we we're creating the app was that it will be my actually uh, manual for the ideal me program 
Yes. Uh, and I do use Alex when I'm uh, uh, during the counseling sessions with, uh, with children, with teenagers. <laughs> it is incredible how children uh, refer to Alex, how, uh, what emotions they have. Sometimes they, they cry, I want him to be alive and give me a hug. Sometimes they say, you know, he looks at me, I don't feel comfortable talking uh, but at the end of the day the, uh, the, there is a pre and post assessment or the feeling so if you were on the yellow and, and Alex was able to bring you on the green this is right. a great success and cherish it but I, I encourage parents and I encourage anybody who is willing to use the app to at the beginning at least to do that together with the child to, to lead the child through through the process um, again, there are a lot of references to, to different um, uh, sources, uh, research, and so on inside the app. Um, but still, I, I believe it is a little bit better if somebody shows the child how to do that in a proper way. Right. I, I wouldn't exclude the human factor from that. This could be in all the schools. <laughs> I really hope it was also again please keep in mind but my background is uh, school psychology and yeah. I would like to you I, I saw the need in the school especially yeah. with learning problems and behavior problems mm-hmm. uh, that's what that was the idea to build the ideal me program and then uh, <laughs> when I was trying to teach children how to deal with their feelings and they would forget or parents would forget and so on and so forth, I thought, you know, it's very difficult to forget to click on a button on the app. And I really don't need to encourage anybody to use it because people see it works and they use it. Right. I think I think it's wonderful. And I mean, for me, I've worked with the board, different boards for a long time. And uh, frankly, I've been trying to ban phones within the schools because we see such, this is a whole other topic, but I can't teach 90 kids a day when they're competing with a phone and they have it in their hand and they won't look at the teacher and the teacher's speaking and the teacher's writing notes and the teacher's giving group work instructions, objectives, rationales, and they're like, what? Say that again? So you keep repeating yourself all day. So we're actually, as teachers go, they're very frustrated because they're competing with this thing that's taking over the student instead of the, ch- the teacher who actually wants to bond with the child. And they're stopping the child from bonding with the, with the actual teacher. I mean, for me, I, I can go into a class, I supply teach still, um, and I'll say to the kids, phones are away. Don't even have them out while I'm here. Mm-hmm. And yet our, our board, our ministry, sorry, I should say, our whole province should be banning them because our test results are slowly coming down every year, slowly. And some actually in some areas dramatically because they're not getting that, that stimulation, that curiosity for learning. They just want to watch something right here because the cortisol and dopamine is so much better than listening to this wonderful person who wants to take you down a different journey. Right. Um, and unless we do a wow field trip or unless a teacher has fireworks, they don't want to listen to them. So I, and, and the disjointed learning is something for executive functioning skills perspective that they don't care what the teacher's saying. Oh yeah, I'll do it at home. So they're actually not absorbing the information or the principles, let's say it's World War II, 
and the facts or the understanding of the politics of what's going on in that, that unit, their comprehension's out the window now. So they have to read and learn and take notes, but they're not doing that because they, they just go, oh, did anybody like my picture on Facebook? <laughs> or, or sorry, I'm, that's too old, Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Instagram. And I find that unless we get the ministries in various provinces, like in Europe, they banned them. Germany, they're banned. I think Poland, banned. England, banned. So why is it? that we're resisting when this is the best thing for their anxiety. Why do you think that is in this, in this uh, province? I really cannot comment on that, uh, why, why these decisions uh, are being made that way. I, I agree with you that uh, research says that something like multitasking does not exist. People who seem to multitask, they have just a very fast processing speed. Mm-hmm. Most children don't. <laughs> yes, uh, and and I agree with you that uh, you know, in s- some schools allow it, some schools do not allow it. That's that's my experience from from my field. Um, f- first of all, maybe I'm old-fashioned, but in my view, this is disrespectful. <laughs> Sitting in front of the teacher uh, who is trying to teach you, who is giving bond you, with you, like your they're time. trying to connect. Right. Who is trying to connect? Who is uh, giving you her or his time? Uh, he's fundamentally uh, only. Yeah, yeah, you're and right. So I think this is this is first thing. This is the ba- <laughs> let's go to the basics. Let's teach children yeah. how to be respectful, uh, how how to be kind and polite. Mm-hmm. And I I believe that if well, we accomplish yeah. this. A stage, then, and then they will be able to understand also that we that this is something I'm not bringing to to school. I cannot imagine, let's say, my children bringing electronics to school and 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 playing games in front of the teacher. But and, and you know what's really sad? I've heard and I've seen it in my classrooms where parents have texted the child in front of me while they're writing a test, and the parent says, "Do you want steak or eggs for dinner?" and that that text, that little notification beeped and went off and disrupted a whole grade 12 test. And everyone who's trying to get into university, that it sort of disrupted their train of thought. And at that one point, I took the phone, <laughs> I called the parent and said, please refrain from texting your child in my class. And this is what you did. So please be respectful. And I think that respect comes at home too. Um, But that whole child, he didn't do well on the test because he's thinking, oh, I better answer my mom because if I don't answer my mom, she'll take my phone away. (laughs) But if I don't do my test, I don't do well at school. So it really spiked his anxiety. And he was torn between looking at his phone and doing well in school. And children shouldn't have to make that decision, right? Um, And parents are texting their kids all day. In fact, 23 texts in a grade eight class were made by a parent into one child all day. So I ask parents, if, if parents are listening, don't text your kids in school, it spikes their anxiety. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Um, again, like uh, we can blame 
system, we can blame whoever we want, but all these things are coming from home. Uh, how you respond to other person, how you behave, even I, I believe, you know, ethics of, of using electronics or uh, manners of using an electronics, it should be taught. I, I don't know. I, I was hoping that uh, still parents have this role. Yeah, so, they do teach children how to behave yeah. and how to be respectful. Yeah. But I see that more and more often uh, parents uh, put this responsibility on, on others, including teachers who are not only teachers anymore, but they are also emotional companions. They're yeah. expected to be emotional companions. I don't know if teachers have enough training, though, uh, to become one. Mm -hmm. um, but also, well, it, they say it takes the village to, to raise the child. And obviously, I really believe in that sentiment. Yes. <laughs> yes. Obviously, teachers needs to be need to be involved in, in, in the process of raising the child. But um, I don't think this, is, this should be a sole responsibility. No. I, I Your job is to deliver curriculum in an interesting method and in a different uh, pedagogy, if you will. Um, right. So I have to wrap up here, even though I'd love to ask you more questions. <laughs> but um, I just want to summarize some of the tips that you gave today. I wrote them down for all of our listeners. So you said what's important is fundamentally at home. You said that it's important for parents to keep a routine in their home. A routines, I found that kids, they thrive in routines. There's no worry they, they can handle things when things go wrong because something slipped a little, but there's confidence, right? You said to schedule time with your children and talk or play and have quality time, right? That was number, number two. Number three was um, uh, teach your children how to stop negative self-talk if you can and work through what self-talk is. And you gave a really good example of that. Um, I really, really would like to help promote um, Talk to Alex, your app, and how important it is to children for children to have a safe place to not be criticized. And and I, I actually advocate to parents not to to criticize. And I I'm at fault for that. I've navigated my relationship with my daughter and children. Be a place of listening and a safe landing mat is what you're kind of saying. Like be safe for them to come to you. Um, and if you need the app. It is available, and I will put the link there. So uh, I just wanted to say thank you for being here, and Thanks thank you for sharing your knowledge. And I hope you stay working with the boards and education because that's where mental health is really going to uh, make drastic changes and help the pendulum swing from here back to here. Um, and in England, I'll, I'll end on this, they have psychological assessments for every child by the age of grade one. And so they fill those gaps, what they're finding there in England and in France, that children aren't getting those bonds of security attachment with the parents. And so they bring on parent counselors mm -hmm. and they bring on psychologists and within two or three sort of uh, treatments and, and, and months of work with the child, children are stable by grade three. Mm -hmm. Isn't that amazing? Can you imagine if it's beautiful put it into here? <laughs> Prevention, like honestly, I, I believe we are not able to afford any more mental health problems in North America. It becomes too costly, and uh, it 
this huge burden for the society and for the economy and uh, for the future of this world. I, I know how it sounds, but I believe what in what I'm saying. So, yeah, well, anyway, we thank you so much, Dr. Anta, for being here today and for helping all these parents learn about all these tools they can adapt and work with. Thank you so much for having me today on your show. And um, welcome. I'm going to have you again. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what I wanted to mention. I would be happy to chat with you again. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much.